We made this. to Life's Milestones, the podcast here on the We Made This Podcast Network about birth and naming ceremonies, relationships and weddings, and death and funerals. My name is Mark Adams and I am your host. I am a humanist celebrant, which means I can and regularly do write and present humanist, non-religious ceremonies for anyone and everyone. My guest on today's show is Hollywood Fletch, and as you might have guessed, that is not his real name. And it's a bit old school, and I don't know anyone else who does it anymore, but that is his online name, and I can kind of respect that. You know, I've worked in the wrestling industry, and for the longest time I was Magic Mark, for better or worse. I uh, never liked that name. Anyway... And so we haven't revealed his name. And that's okay. His stories are still fun. His stories are still interesting. And Fletch is someone that I do a podcast with outside of the We Made This Podcast Network. We do the Super Tap Film Club podcast. We look at B-movies, action films, and any film that we consider to be, well, a bit tap. And we do a run-through with Malachi J. Matthews, who was the guest on the last show... So if you're a fan of Super Tat, you've got two Super Tat hosts in a row. And every week we have a fun, daft, definitely adult-rated podcast where we either praise or rip into a Tat film. Fletch is a great bloke who has always been the friend of mine that I've seen as intelligent and thoughtful and philosophical. And I think this comes across in his interview and um you know people like fletch kind of show the world that yes you can take time out of your life to enjoy indulgent stuff like b movies but you can also be a bright intelligent person who makes a difference and i think it's important to enjoy what you like without judgment and anyone who judges you can well they can sling their hook Anyway, that's enough of me being preachy. If you like B-movies, that's cool. If you don't like B-movies, that's also cool. Regardless, you're going to enjoy my interview with Fletch, and let's get on to that. With me at this time is Hollywood Fletch. Hello, Fletch. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> not bad, not bad. Just uh, having a quiet one today. I'm off work, but uh, everywhere's closed. So I'm sat inside talking to you. Well, yes, thank you for coming on the show and talking about your life's milestones. I think people have probably worked it out, but um, Hollywood Fletch is not your real name. I mean, Should it we half talk is. <laughs> well, it almost half half is, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, just to tell us why you are Hollywood Fletch, for those people listening in that haven't listened to the podcast that you and I do together. Mm-hmm. So 
My name is Hollywood Fletch and I am a co-host on the Super Tat Film Club podcast with your lovely self and Malachi J. Matthews in which we talk about, well, I'd like to think a wide range of films listing from B-movies to AAA action films such as Fast and Furious. But yeah, I've been called Hollywood Fletch because I think prior to yourself joining us, we used to have a Twitch channel and Malachi always used to set up a light that used to shine directly onto us for the camera and it was too bright so I used to wear sunglasses indoors so I'm, I'm Hollywood basically because I wear sunglasses indoors. <laughs> so it's one of those dumbass nicknames that stuck really. Yeah yeah I'm one of them people who will make sudden fashion statements that people will notice because they're so out of the blue. <laughs> I have enjoyed your fashion statements, particularly when you ended up being Frankie Goes to Hollywood Fletch. Oh, heavy metal harmar. <laughs> <laughs> but we had Matt on the last episode, so I thought it'd be quite fun. Both of my co-hosts on Supertap Film Club in a row. So tell everyone about Supertap Film Club. Right, well, at the moment, we're doing a Halloween special, as we are in the month of October, and we're calling it Shocktober, where we're going through some classic, classic horror films. And the format of the podcast is that we go through the plot of said films, and we just pick out the bits that we might have liked or might have not liked so much. Does that <laughs> about cover it? <laughs> yeah, that's a very diplomatic way of putting it, I think. For me, you would almost think it was two different people. The way I host both of these podcasts is this one is obviously very serious and linked to my job and as professional as it can be when I try to make it a casual conversation. But when we do Super Tat Film Club, it's me just getting very excited about ludicrous films and swearing and sometimes drinking and they're two very very different podcasts and I think they're both kind of two aspects of my personality really. Well it's kind of like a mullet isn't it you've got the <laughs> serious bit at the front and at the back there's the party that's kind of your hosting style I think Mark. <laughs> my hosting style is a mullet from, from someone as stylish as yourself I'm going to take that as the as a compliment I'm I am, but I'm not sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Take it as you will. So going to have a quick little guest profile. A couple of questions to tell us about the kind of person I'm interviewing this week. First of all, it's nice and simple. How old are you? I'm 32 years old. And where are you from and what kind of a background do you come from? I'm from North London originally, mm. but I've lived in Derby since I was very young. So I basically consider myself to be from Derby because I was basically raised here. Mm. In terms of background, can you elaborate? I kind of try and leave it as open as possible for people to interpret what they want to talk about. But you could be talking socioeconomic, you could be cool. talking about education, you could have been talking about basically however you see as your kind of wide ranging, in inverted commas, background. Mm. Well, my background is kind of middling working class background mm. as in we lived in a council house but we could afford to put food on the table if you get right. what I mean yeah um, so like a lot of people our family lived from 
paycheck to paycheck, as it were. You know? Yeah. In terms of my upbringing, I was mostly raised by my mother, who was quite a... Uh, I don't know. She kind of let me do whatever I liked, basically, <laughs> which um, sounds worse than it is. I mean, I feel like I was kind of left to my own devices to an extent that I could. I don't know. I'm not sheltered, is basically right. what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And we've already covered Super Tap Film Club, but what do you do that makes you interesting? For the Super Tap? No, in general. What makes you interesting? What makes you different to all the other people? Well, I like to pride myself on my... Well, we do a film podcast, as you know. And the thing that I like to pride myself on in that is that I could watch literally any film and I could tell you why it is absolutely excellent and a piece of art. I don't always feel like doing it, but... (laughs) you know in terms of things such as talking about films and criticism and things like that i feel like it's really really easy for people to just sit there on the internet and trash things and people who are are just a dime a dozen there's they're everywhere so i think it's more valuable to be someone who can find the good in as many things as they can having been completely agog at your ability to do this i can absolutely confirm that it's a skill that i don't have i've always tried to perhaps balance and look for some good if i think a film's bad or look for some bad if i think a film's good and sometimes people might get cross with me because i'm not 100 one way or the other whereas you can just take it to another level and um, i've always been impressed And occasionally frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think all art, no matter how catchy, cheap or bad, I say, you know, in commas, uh, you would consider a piece of art to be, no matter what it is, it's always going to have some kind of conscious or subconscious meaning imbued in it. And that's the interesting thing about storytelling. And that's the thing that really gets me passionate. Yeah, I think you're right. If anyone has made an effort to put some of their creativity into a thing, it has some value. And I would, ne- like I say, I would never absolutely smash something or absolutely completely praise something. Mm. Whereas you seem to be even better at spotting something's value. And that's something that I can definitely respect. Yeah. I mean, I'm just passionate about storytelling more than anything. I'm really mm. interested in it. I'm interested in the history of it and everything and how it all goes together and why it all goes together. When I was at uni, I did a little bit of stuff on mythology and stuff like that. And, and you know, archetypes, like Jungian archetypes and uh, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey type stuff as well. Yeah. Because I just find it all dreadfully interesting. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on and talk about birth when and where and how were you born so i say i'm from north london i was actually born in enfield hospital uh i can't remember it's got it goes by a different name now i can't remember what it's called Uh, but yeah i was actually born in enfield and since then i think i was about three years old which is when we then left london 
because my parents got divorced. Right. Yeah, and that's how I uh, and how, one thing after the other, I actually basically ended up in Derby. Mm. So, um, tell us a favourite story about your childhood. Mm. Favourite story about my childhood is when I was really small, as I say, in London. I was on Trafalgar Square, really small, and apparently my dad turned his back for a few seconds and come back, and I was completely covered in pigeons. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I looked like the old lady from Home Alone too, just all, uh, <laughs> all on my arms, shoulders, head, just everywhere, like they were going to fly off with me. How did you acquire these pigeons? I think I was feeding them, but... Obviously, I had the stuff in my hand, so they they just started just cutting to the chase and just landing directly on me. (laughs) How did your dad respond to this? Um, He thought it was hilarious. He thought it was absolutely hilarious. And um, Yeah, um, jokingly told me that I was going to be kidnapped and, you know, just imbued a a slight distrust of birds in me from then on. So it's birds and sharks that you're not fond of? Oh, yes. As we've discussed on our podcast, I'm not a big fan of sharks, but that's mostly because I watched Jaws at a very young age and now consider sharks to be utterly terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And as we established on our other podcast, they are made of teeth. They are, in fact, made of teeth. And I'm glad that uh, I brought this nugget of information to you, Mark, because you clearly enjoyed it so much. It is a favourite of mine. Because you told me that sharks were made of teeth. I was like, they can't be made of teeth. So I, obviously, when you don't believe a friend, these days you get your phone out and you Google. And I was like, going to prove him wrong. Fucking hell, they're made of teeth. <laughs> yeah. I, I... To this day, I'm still shooketh. <laughs> I wasn't kidding, you know. Know your enemy. <laughs> Just to make it clear to people who don't listen to Supertech Film Club. Explain why we say sharks are made of teeth. Well, what were we doing? Jaws the Revenge, weren't we? Jaws 4, yeah. Mm, Which, uh, you know, that's a whole thing. But uh, we were doing that episode, and I know a few shark facts because, you know, I'm scared of them, and it pays to know. And that's when I told you that shark skin is, in fact, made of thousands and thousands of tiny little teeth. And, and it really going. is. <laughs> and they are made And it teeth. really, really is. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more scared of sharks now because of you. I'll be honest. Well, it's just the whole image of it, isn't it? Imagine being stuck underwater, you know? You've all had them nightmares where you're trying to run away from someone or try and fight someone off, but you're powerless. That's literally what being underwater is like. But then yeah. there's this huge, massive one-ton creature that can just glide through it like nothing it's just the thought of that is terrifying to me which i guess why it made such good cinema well it did up until jaws 4 anyway well that's true (laughs) wasn't the 3d one before that as well yeah that wasn't particularly good either was it (laughs) well i don't know i don't know like i say everything's got its values whatever they are indeed we have tangented a bit. Next question on birth is, do you have children? No, I do not have any children that I'm aware of. <laughs> right, OK. Are you planning on having them? I am not, no. No? Nope. And do you do you have a particular reason for that? 
Well, it's difficult to say. I mean, the one thing that I've always been sure of is that I don't want kids. Mm. Yeah, it's something that I've never even had to think about. I've always just felt this way to a point where, you know, I can just confidently say that I definitely do not ever want kids. Could be any number of reasons for it, to be honest. Someone someone brought it to my attention recently that it could be because, you know, I'm like the product of, uh, you know, a couple of father figures who didn't really want kids either. And to be honest, I don't really want to be in that kind of situation. Mm. Like, uh, you know, I don't believe my dad's a, a bad person. And, you know, I believe he loves me and everything. But at the end of the day, he wasn't prepared to have kids. Right. And it shows, you know. I mean, he's not a bad parent. He's just, you know, he never wanted it. <laughs> mm, mm. I think to some extent, it can't just be as simple as your dad didn't particularly want kids, so I don't want them either. It can't be that simple, surely. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the way our brains are shaped and developed by our experiences but I do know that definitely does play a huge role in the, in the personality that you develop as a person doesn't it you mm. know especially when it comes to your upbringing because these are the things that your brain sponges up as it's developing isn't it well, yeah I think there's some truth in that I want to talk to you about when I spoke to a previous guest Lucy she also does not want to have children and we talked about the stigma of not wanting kids and how people will say oh you'll change your mind when you get older and and generally treat you like you're naive do you feel that women get a rough deal rougher than a man who doesn't want kids do you feel like you've been the recipient of that kind of behavior uh yeah i mean i believe that anyone who decides not to have kids will probably end up getting that kind of conversation foisted upon them especially by people of a kind of older generation or a more traditional background Mm. but yeah yeah no I do I do believe as with a lot of things especially when it comes to child rearing and you know raising children obviously there is a lot more pressure and expectations on women than there are on men but that's not to say that, you know, there aren't certain disadvantages to it as a man as well. Mm. In my own experience, because that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I can only speak for myself. But in yeah. my own experience, it, it does kind of feel like everything outside of yourself is geared towards people who do want kids and want to have a family and stuff. I mean, our whole social economic structure is built around that. So when you don't, it does feel like you don't fit in anywhere sometimes. And also, I don't believe it's as common as people seem to think, because you hear a lot of people say that it is more common nowadays. And I guess it probably is. But speaking as from an anecdotal point of view, it Mm. doesn't feel like there's a lot of people who are the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the uh, the biggest thing about it is it can feel alienating. Yeah, and I I guess similar to the conversation I had with Lucy, it's it's not cool. Believe people when they say something that they've clearly thought about. Yeah, yeah. From my experience as well, I mean, my last two relationships were long term. We're talking years, mm-hmm. and both of those ended because my spouse changed their mind. 
just right. like everyone said they would you know right. obviously that's again it's just my experience i couldn't tell what the uh, the wider truth of the thing is but yeah people can change their mind right into their 30s decide actually yeah i do want them yeah you know it can happen you never know is the main thing to take away from that you really never know yeah and you know that is also okay <laughs> even if yeah. you've been like fighting prejudice from people who th- seem to think it's not okay for you to not want kids it is still okay for you to change your mind that's what people do they learn they develop they become different people as they get older yeah i mean each to their own really <laughs> yeah so yeah. you know do what you want with your body i agree all right let's move on and talk about weddings and marriage first one is are you married no i'm not married okay so do you want to get married or believe in marriage Mm, i wouldn't say i believed in marriage i don't really see the point in it if you get what i mean but obviously i have been engaged and i've considered marrying someone in the past Mm -hmm. um, a couple of times and the the reason behind it is because it's important to them Right, because uh, if I'm if I'm indifferent to it, then it really doesn't make a difference to me whether I do or don't. But right. if my if I'm with someone with a long time and it's a serious relationship, like I was with someone with someone for eight years, for instance, mm-hmm. and I'd kind of decided in the end that I'm not really I don't have any strong feelings against it. Right. So right. so I'm open to actually doing it for someone else. In my head, that's what a good relationship should be. Yeah. It's doing something for that other person. You, you're giving yourself to them. So Yeah. You know. and, and I guess marriage is one stage that you can stop at, yeah. whereas kids is also another stage. And I think that you've got a very sensible attitude when it comes to that. One of them you're indifferent to, and one of them is clearly a this-is-my-stance kind of situation. And the fact that you can be so knowledgeable about yourself on that kind of thing I, I think that's something that people should respect yeah i mean it's it is i suppose it is because as i've as i've learned as i mentioned like not everyone does know themselves that well and mm. they can just surprise themselves later on down the line but yeah it's it's something i've genuinely thought about and you know i just i just cannot be uh cannot be budged on it <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's okay so you're indifferent to marriage, but if you're indifferent, you'll have inevitably thought about it because people get bored. What would be involved in your perfect wedding? I have I have thought about this in the past when I was considering getting married. And I feel like, I mean, obviously, a lot of it goes into what my uh, what my partner wants. Yeah. As I mentioned before, it's uh, the fact that they want it at all is is the be- biggest part of the decision for me. Right. But, uh, but I feel like. I mean, going on that same line, the other thing that would be important to me in terms of the ceremony is that the people who want to be there are present. Yes. So, like, for instance, my parents, say, you know, I couldn't imagine having a wedding where my mum wasn't there because she'd never forgive me, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And, like, uh, it would have to be local to this country. 
because of the, the travel arrangements and things and yeah you know in terms of in terms of price my like my dad couldn't really afford to uh catch a flight to italy or wherever you know wherever yeah. the, uh, the this dream wedding would be but uh, i've always thought it was a, a bit shoddy behavior as well when you get these uh, these couples who get married and they have this whole wedding in a faraway place and like yeah it's all idyllic and picturesque and stuff but now we've all got to uh, <laughs> haul ourselves out there to come and celebrate this thing for you yeah yeah <laughs> i'll never forget the first wedding i was invited to as a grown-up mm-hmm. it was um some friends that i knew from university and they both got high-flying graduate jobs and i was a bum and um they had this dream wedding and it was in america I just simply couldn't afford to fly over to America. I hadn't got the money and I made the decision that I wasn't going to ask for help from my parents on this one. So I apologised and said, I can't come to your wedding. I just can't afford it. I'm so sorry. And um, they didn't talk to me ever again. Oh, my word. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it kind of smacks of uh, it smacks as a bit classist to me as well, because you you're kind of saying the only people who are important enough to go to your wedding are the ones who can afford to, <laughs> and kind of expecting everyone else to be in the same same sort of um, economical bracket as you is a bit unfair, and I feel like uh, a lot of people buy into this this idea of the wedding and it being the happiest day of your life as they say Mm. and the idea that you wouldn't move mountains to come and turn up to the happiest day of their lives is kind of hard to hard to wrap their head around because it's like this is this is the most important day of our lives how could mark not be here without just considering that you know maybe he's just poor and he can't come over yeah I think weddings are wonderful and weddings can be this perfect, perfect day. But there's always going to be considerations like if my mates are poor, can they afford to come? And I love it when you see these wedding invites and it says the only present we want is your presence. I like that. I think that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so going back to that question of what my kind of perfect wedding would be. Go for it. I mean, I live kind of modestly anyway, so I think the important thing to me would be just getting getting everyone there who needs to be there, you know, the important friends and family mm. and things like that. Mm. So I'm one of them, really. I'm one of the ones who uh, prefers the company to the, uh, you know, to the actual uh, the gears, the turning gears and things like that. Yeah, so you, you, you're a presence, not presence kind of a chap. I would definitely fit into that category, I would say. Yeah, I think that's much more of a modern take on marriage where and modern couples don't need a toaster and a goodness knows what else that they put on their wedding list. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, who doesn't want a new toaster? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, toasters are good and all, but uh, how many toasters do you need, Mark? Well, I want one of those ones that does four rather than two. The really meaty ones that look dead good and look like... You can so right. I saw this toaster once that boils an egg at the same time as it does your toast. Get I out! I like one. Yeah, I quite like one of them. So it just—it's just a breakfast machine. And your issue with this is? I, d- I don't know. I just—you know—you know those things, those things, those inventions where you just like, you know what? 
why didn't I think of that? <laughs> machine that just makes breakfast. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what other meals do we have left? We need a lunch machine. There you go. One that just makes sandwiches. You get a bread maker. Yeah, but it's not the same, though. No, it's not. No, I suppose it's you've not. got, like, a toasted sandwich maker. You've oh, I love them. Mm. Mine's in the shape of a cow. <laughs> I'm more of a George Foreman man myself. Oh, okay. oh, I suppose you could do a butty on a George Formby grill. Oh, absolutely you could. That's that's my jam, that is, making Cubanos. Nice. I've just realised that because I tend to have casual conversations with people on this, I'd like to point out to any potential clients that I know it's a George Foreman grill. It was a deliberate malaprop, which I am literally the only person who thinks it's funny. Well, calling it the George Formby. Yes. Well, it amuses know, me. Anyone who doesn't like George Formby is devoid of joy. So <laughs> any any time you want to shoehorn him into a conversation, Mark, I'm down. Good. So we'll t- we'll carry on talking about music. What kind of song would you pick as your first dance? Would it be George Formby? Hmm. I mean, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that is something I've never considered it for, but now he's on the table. I'm having a hard time yes. taking him off. <laughs> I mean, it'd have to be something quirky, wouldn't it? I mean, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people like are doing that now, but but you know, you you want to reflect your. Uh, yourself and your personality and everything that you do don't you mm. there's some elaborate stuff out there for sure yeah yeah the thing is though my taste in music is quite gloomy so i don't think it'd really fit a wedding yeah you probably shouldn't have the cure <laughs> no i shouldn't have leonard cohen playing i don't think no i can't think of a cheery leonard cohen song <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not but uh, but there you go i mean maybe that's it Maybe that's just what I do. I just have a gloomy wedding. Have you not got, like, one bright song that you like? I'm sure I probably do. (laughs) 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 I'm quite a big fan of Bjork. She's had some quite happy songs, hasn't she? I mean, I could... Oh, imagine it's all so quiet. And, like, this couple doing, like, a gentle dance and then going crazy, crazy, crazy in their posh wedding outfits. That'd work, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's essentially what the song is about as well, isn't it? That sudden burst of activity and craziness that you get when you are in love with someone. Yeah. You joked about it, but I like this idea. I think this has got legs. (laughs) Well, there you go. You'll have to suggest it. Well, I have to you. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) I just need to find someone to get married to now, and then then we're rolling. (laughs) We've got you, we've got me, we just need a bride. Step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we're uh, two-thirds of the way there, Mark. (laughs) Okay, we're going to move on to, I call it the serious part of the podcast, but it doesn't always need to be. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about death. And the first one can be as deep as you like. And some people have taken this and run with it. And some people have just gone, no. Um, the question is, are you scared of death? Am I scared of death? I would say that I'm not. I have put some thought into this, but no, I would say that I'm not scared of death. I mean, we've all been affected by... I mean, I don't think there's anyone alive who can say they've not 
been affected by that feeling of existential dread at some stages. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just simply what happens if you're uh, if you're alone for too long, especially if you don't have those crutches that some people have to no. stave off that exist- existentialism, such as religion, for instance. <laughs> Not just religion, but yes, for instance. But yeah, so obviously I felt that kind of, I don't know, that that feeling of, what do they call it, existential nihilism, where yeah. you've kind of got nothing to look forward to and uh, you've, you're just rolling that boulder up that hill over and over again. Death obviously plays a big part in that because it's the end of the road and it's just the biggest representation of that meaninglessness that we have at the end of all of this, at the end of life's eternal struggle and as, as as it all goes. But yeah, I think I've somewhat come to terms with that. And no, I'm not I'm not afraid of my life ending. Right, right. The 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 short answer. I mean it's interesting the way you talk about it. Do you do you feel like the taboo of talking about this kind of thing is fading? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was talking about existential nihilism, which which was popularised by Albert Camus. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, um, we were talking about storytelling and stuff earlier. It seems to be really present in our collective consciousness at the moment. Mm. I'm not sure why, but if you look at a lot of the uh, a lot of the TV shows and things that are on, you can tell they've all been reading Camus. You know. <laughs> You can tell they're just taking stuff straight out of his um, books and putting them right there on the screen. You know, stuff like um, Fargo, the TV series, uh, Bojack Horseman. I don't know if you've watched that. Oh, that's yeah. Another that's another one that deals with this uh, this existentialism. It's an incredible piece of television. Oh, absolutely. It is incredible. But I think the existence of a lot of shows like this are just part of this current zeitgeist that we have at the moment where we are. I, th- I believe doing what what you said it's it's kind of less of a taboo we're more open about this kind of feeling of ennui and listlessness at the, mm. the kind of the march towards death as it was which sounds really gloomy but it's just finding ways to to live around that you know yeah yeah and I've, I've, have you ever been to a death cafe I have not please tell me about it I think you get on with a death cafe it's essentially a a venue yeah will serve tea and cakes and they'll have someone run a conversation about death it's not a support group it's not any kind of therapy it's just the idea that have a sit have a chat talk to people about death openly in a safe space and get rid of this taboo and before covid i i was running these and i learned so much useful stuff just kind of like absorbing other people's thoughts on this and it really helped me with my job as a funeral celebrant and i couldn't recommend it more it you get people who go that sounds morbid and that's the kind of taboo that a death cafe is designed to get rid of so if someone says it's morbid my, my response is give it a go and let me know whether you think it's morbid once you've been yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great idea, because I think the thing is about death is if you don't come to terms with it and if you don't, you know, if you don't have a lot of experience with it, 
it can hit you like an absolute sledgehammer. Yeah. I've seen it happen before me very eyes to people that I was very close to mm. who have lost some someone and they were just completely unprepared with how to deal with that loss. Mm. And it's just affected them for the rest of their life. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm fortunate enough not to have been traumatized in that way. But also I'm lucky enough that I've, I was kind of given an opportunity to be around death when I was a teenager. So I did actually see some things that uh, a lot of people wouldn't have seen or, you know, ever. And it did, it did really help me get my head around, around death. And it just as this being this real tangible thing that we all just have to accept will exist and will touch all of our lives. Yeah, and this was something I did want to talk to you about on this podcast because you are quite unusual in as much as, well, let's be blunt, you've worked in a mortuary. <laughs> well, I worked in a hospital. I was a hospital porter and uh, that would range from working in the mortuary to the A&E to the post room. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you know, you've actually been in mortuaries, which is more than... A lot of people have ever done. Yeah, but thing is, it's not the mortuaries where people die. I mean, that's the thing. There's just such a difference from between seeing these waxen bodies just lying in shelves in, in a fridge to actually being down there in A and E and seeing someone pass away right before your eyes. Right. And, right. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time when you're in the when you're in a mortuary. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've taken people in there, like new people who I'm training up and stuff. And mm-hmm. every time people react differently. But yeah, yeah, I've um, I mean, yeah, I, I worked around death, if you will. Mm. Do you feel like it made a difference to how you see death? Absolutely. I absolutely do believe that it definitely helped me understand it a lot. Mm. Because just the seemingly random, just the randomness of it, you know, Mm. like Mm. it really can affect anyone at any time. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, I've seen I've seen a lot of elderly people pass at their time. I've seen children. I've seen babies go. Mm. And, you know, it's just it's just what you learn. You just learn that literally anyone can be affected by it. It is just as much a part of life as living itself. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Have you ever experienced the death of someone close to you? You've seen so much of other people's relatives dying. Have you ever experienced someone close to you? Well, I've had friends die in the past for various different reasons. Dirty, that's quite unusual, really. I don't know. I mean... It's life, you know. I've had friends who have been affected by... Well, I've had friends who have killed themselves. I've had friends who have been killed by others. I've had, I had a friend who just died one day because he just fell in the river down by the river gardens and then went home and then just got pneumonia and died in his bed. And, oh, like, great. that's just another one of these instances where it can just happen just like that. He was just yeah. uh, drunkenly walking home and he died that night. It really can just just happen out of nowhere but in terms of family (laughs) 
I'm not sure if I should talk about this or not, actually. My stepdad died at the end of last year. Right. Yeah, but we had a terrible relationship, so I wasn't really badly affected by that. And I think that's okay to say that, Mm. you know, you feel what you feel, and that's, that's okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it was an interesting thing to go through, actually, because you do feel this almost expectation right. when someone someone that you're that close to dies. You, f- you feel this expectation to have some kind of feeling of pity or remorse or whatever. Mm. But the thing is, those feelings that you might have towards them of of resentment and things like that, especially if you feel this person really did wrong you that badly, those things just don't die. Right. And I don't know. It's almost like uh, without, like no one has to say it, but you do feel like you do feel this expectation that you should somehow be guilty for the way that you felt about this person in life, even though it's that person's fault. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, people have this kind of attitude towards death in which they think that the slate should just be wiped clean, if you will. And uh, yeah. and any feelings of animosity you should have towards that person should immediately be dropped. But I think there's some things that you can't you can't just turn that off. Right. And that right. expectation on people isn't uh, isn't fair, but it's something that we feel towards death because we feel like it should be sacred, don't we? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. There's that classic phrase, isn't there? Don't speak ill of the dead. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're not, never going to stop me speaking ill of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> not even kidding. You well, know what I mean? The, uh, there are certain figures that will always be a red rag to certain people. It just so happens that she's one of mine, you know? Well, this is a perfect example, isn't it? Because you've got this person who was reviled by a lot of people for her politics and for what she did and and then these people are immediately expected to not feel that way now that she's dead yeah. it was it was a weird thing that happened i mean to some extent i felt like people gained a bit too much glee out of it but also you know it's like i say you can't you can't just you can't. It, it's, I don't know. It felt like it was just another way of just telling people to shut up. You know, yeah. stop complaining about austerity and conservative politics because this woman is dead now. Yeah. When it comes to the affairs of people who are living and uh, suffering, I don't think things. I don't. I don't think being uh, being precious about the sacredity of death should be that important. Hmm. Okay, let's move on and talk about your funeral now. Do you want to be buried or cremated? I think I would be cremated. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't... It's another thing I don't have strong feelings about. I Hmm. mean, I feel like my funeral would be for the people that I left behind, not for me. Yeah, that's a pretty standard opinion these days, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think I'd want to be cremated, though, just because it would be simpler. 
<laughs> mm. See, I didn't, I didn't want a modest funeral. <laughs> yeah. wrong with a modest funeral. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think my dad told me he wanted to be cremated as well. And uh, he wanted me to chuck him off the back of the uh, the ferry on the way to the Isle of Wight. And I quite like the idea of that, of just being taken and scattered somewhere. Yeah. I think it, I think it feels like something that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just more ritual, isn't it? Yeah, and, well, stuff like the scattering of ashes is now, an, an option is now to have a direct cremation. You don't have a ceremony in the chapel. You yeah. give the family their their ashes and you have a celebrant or a priest or whatever who does a actual ceremony mm-hmm. when you do the ashes scattering itself rather than just turning up to a cliff chucking it and going home you kind of move the ceremony from the creme to that particular act of finality and i would love to do an ashes scattering ceremony it's not something i've had an opportunity to do yet and i would really like to i think that they can be really meaningful and a very modern take on saying goodbye to a person yeah yeah and i like the idea of scattering ashes because it gives a it gives a real sense of closure a finality Mm. of scattering someone away and off they go and you just it's that final farewell isn't it and as as i mentioned before you know as someone who's seen people who really struggled with closure i think that i mean it's important to have these things that help people process yeah so have you thought about what reading you might like to be read at your funeral? Well, I always have the same sort of answer for anything like this, actually. Mm. Because I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know if you knew this about me, Mark, but I used, to, I used to write poetry. Yeah, you've never let me read any, but I did know that. Yeah, and I think with things like that, the best ones you can ever get are ones that are just written by someone who knows you well and who's just writing from experience and from what, you know, from those tangible instances where they've been with you and there's been strong emotional links to those events. Mm. Those are the things that people should talk about, I feel. Yes. I think they're the most powerful way because people, a lot of the time people are drawn towards these sort of cookie-cutter niceties that yeah. you could really apply to anyone and it's just it's it's best to avoid that i feel i feel like the best thing you want is you want someone who knows like so let's say if someone were to read at my funeral yeah i would want someone who can just talk about you know what i was like and what we did together and why i'm important to them mm. a personal eulogy exactly yeah do you know i really like personal eulogies. When I first started up, I couldn't get my head around how the celebrant's life story of the person was different to a personal eulogy until someone did one. And then I was like, oh, I see. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one thing saying you love someone and then it's another thing describing how you love someone. You know, It's, it's all about showing rather than telling, I feel. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And finally, what music tracks would you select for your entrance, reflection and exit at your funeral? It would just be bloody Leonard Cohen, I'm telling you. All <laughs> over, all over. Cohen and Bjork, those are my picks. Any particular you know. tracks? Oh, that's, that's a toughie, that is. That's a really tough one. Did you hear Leonard Cohen's final album? 
I did, but not one that I listened to a lot. I'll be honest, my Leonard Cohen is very much greatest hits. <laughs> right, no problem. Well, his his final single before he died was this really gloomy synthy song about him talking to God and him being ready. Right. Yeah, him him just kind of accepting the end, as it were. Mm, and mm. it's a really cool song and happened right before he died as well. So it's really kind of symbolic of him just accepting death as it was. Right. You know, he's done he's done what he needed to, so he's gone. So he's jumped out, he's gone, he's left. But um I like the idea of maybe having that song because that I think that'd be yeah. a pretty cool pick. I think my equivalent of your Cohen is David Bowie and on his last album he had a very similar track called Lazarus and yeah. oh my it just shattered my heart and you know I was what late 30s when he died and I put that record on and I was just in floods of tears yeah I think a lot of albums like that are really really interesting you know ones where you can tell that the writer or artist is struggling with this tangible emotion such as existentialism and fear of death Mm. and acceptance and and just processing that have you ever listened to dirt by alice in chains no no it's just a whole album of lane staley just processing this feeling that he's going to die because he was addicted to heroin and his his health was so poor by that point and it's just i don't know it's just so powerful yeah would you have something cheery for when people leave or would you want gloomy for when people leave and when would you have your leonard cohen would it be at the start the reflection or the end i'd probably have it at the start i think Mm. yeah i think i'd use it as a tone setter if you will yeah yeah uh if i'm being completely honest i i don't know i'm in two minds whether or not to have it somber or have it just kind of be a bit more of a joke you know what i mean i've done both (laughs) they're both perfectly legitimate (laughs) Mm. yeah because i remember i did come up with another idea that i wanted to do at my funeral i thought would be funny would be to have like a funeral pyre right so i'm cremated but i'd have like a projector set up that would project my jedi ghost on the wall (laughs) So it'd be like, yeah, it'd be like the end of uh, end of Return of the Jedi when uh, Darth Vader's just there, like looking on. <laughs> oh, and then they, when they re-edited the video, it would be a different person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck just, you, Hayden Christensen. Yeah, yeah better. They'll just redo it better special effects of a more handsome actor. <laughs> Again, people don't think that you can play with the format of a funeral you mm. absolutely can maybe not with a very strict priest or rabbi or imam but if you've got a celebrant you can basically do what you like with your 20 minutes oh yeah yeah and i am somewhat drawn to almost mocking the sanctity of uh, of funerals just because the things like the things that we mentioned earlier where you're kind of expected to do and act certain ways and um the i don't know the uh, the punk rocker in me 
likes the idea of rebelling against that, to be honest, and going against the norm. And projecting your Force ghost and playing the Star Wars theme. Exactly. <laughs> I would love to do that funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, you just hang on tight and uh, right. maybe you'll get the chance. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what's important about this whole discussion is that I just want to emphasise to anybody at any point that it's okay to talk about death. It's also okay to have a different attitude towards death than what is considered the norm. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the idea of having a forced ghost at a funeral, particularly if it would make people smile rather than cry. Oh, yeah. And if it's representative of the person who has passed, then... I'm all the more for it because, again, like the more personalised it is towards your memories and experience of that person, the easier it is for you to be able to process it and gain that closure, I think. Mm. Mm. Right, well, Fletch, it's been lovely. And um, I just want to say thank you very much for being on Life's Milestones. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Where can people find you on the internet? Well... The Super Tap Podcast is on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, all you need to do is give us a quick Google on either and you'll find us easily, Super Tap Film Club. Our podcast is on pretty much every platform, I believe. We're on uh, anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, so, if uh, you listen to Life's Milestones, you can find Super Tap on whatever you're listening to Life Milestones on. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So we're easy to find. Jump over. We're still doing our October specials at the moment, so if you want some classic horror, come hit us up and listen to us talk about them. I'm not sure I'd describe Halloween Resurrection as classic, Fletch. Oh, it's a stone-cold classic. Come on, Mark. Uh, you, you and your finding good in crap films. Yes. I will watch Buster Rhymes spin kick Michael Myers out of a window any day of the week. <laughs> Thanks again, Fletch. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. I'd just like to say one more thank you to Hollywood Fletch for joining me on Life's Milestones, a very different podcast to our usual podcasting experience together. Fletch was obviously recorded over Skype, and that was never the intention with this podcast. The whole point was that I was going to have a sit and a brew and an afternoon with interesting people that I like or enjoy their company or someone who I would be interested in learning about. The problem is coronavirus has meant that I had to adapt the podcast to the world that we live in. So yeah, in future, when we are in better times, I will go back to the style of meeting up with folk like I did at the very beginning with Guy and Fraser. But but it looks like recording over the internet is very much here to stay. Before I go, I am looking to diversify more when it comes to Life's Milestones. I'm very conscious of the fact that I've pretty much only interviewed atheists, agnostics and humanists. And I'd like to change that. So if anyone listening is Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, Christian, anything that isn't non-religious... I would love to have you on the podcast. So if you're interested, drop me a line. You can email me, mark.adams at humanistceremonies.org.uk or you can just grab me on social media 
at Life's Milestones on Twitter or at MarkAdamsHC on Instagram. I just think it would be interesting to get some stories from people of faith. And that's it for Life's Milestones on this particular episode, but I will see you in a fortnight. Thanks for listening. Life's Milestones is a podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. The show's host is me, Mark Adams. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. My website is humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. Regular listeners to the podcast can claim a 10% discount on my fees for a naming ceremony or wedding. Just make sure you quote milestones when you get in touch. The theme tune for Life's Milestones is performed by Zach Reagan and the logo was created by Carl Bryan. Follow the show on Twitter at Life's Milestones. Thank you for listening. Elsewhere, and we made this. The Movie Palace. So, I mean, let's. I'll open the floor up to you then, Russ, to start off with. Why don't you tell me what your first experience with The Heat of the Night was? And generally, what do you think about the movie uh, overall? So, in all honesty, I had seen the film, I believe, when I was much younger. It, uh, probably maybe eight or nine. And at that point, you don't really pick up the themes and found it relatively boring. I believe is my recollection. And I also grew up being around the television show and having a similar feeling about it. Pick a disc. I've always been uh, really interested in space travel. So the Apollo space program is kind of a, a, a geeky subject for me. So I knew immediately what the song was about. And I, I'd heard a lot of the audio clips that they used throughout the song. So when I, when I went to the album and listened to it from start to finish... From that point onwards, it, it was it was a point of I don't think you can listen to any of the songs, or, or or not get the full impact of the songs unless you listen to the album from start to finish in chronological order. Because as you said, it is it is like an audio book. It's it's got a chapter one with with the speech from JFK, and then you go through all the different missions through Russia and USA. And and I think I think it's an album best listened to um, as a whole rather than tracks in isolation. Real Asian podcast. You're right. They're trying to say like, oh, we're not going to be that egregious. We're going to be subtle in our racist views and how we <laughs> erasure Asian Americans from our films. I am. Uh, I'm curious though. What do you What do you guys think went to the thought process? You know, like wh- why? There's a line in the documentary that says, you know, Hollywood is racist because America is racist, and it's like a catch twenty two, where you want something to change, but then it's like, oh, but you can't sell Bruce Lee. And so the Hollywood director is like, okay, then we won't put them. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.